Nicene Creed. By very, quote unquote, they mean totally and completely diluted divinity, unadulterated humanity. In Jesus Christ, we see the Creator at work among us, very God. In Him, we also see the creation of which we are a part, man. I, I think that is, is really a helpful thought as you go back and look at Genesis 1 and 2 and John chapter 1, as to see this, I think it's, it's probably easier to see the Genesis 1 story, but very important to also see the Genesis 2 story. <clears throat> and I think the other, the other piece of that, and this is part of what I'm arguing with Hazeman about at the moment, uh, is that I see the story of Jesus as son of God, as both king of Israel and Israel itself. And so, again, as, as new creation stories, that he's the second Adam, he's the second David, but he's also the new Israel and the start of the new Israel. He's kind of the new Jacob. And we are in Christ uh, in the way that they were in Jacob. Uh, so, so those I think are are tensions and moves that I think the gospel writers make uh, in various places. So again, and when you see Jesus do stuff or say stuff, always behind that is is something from the Old Testament. So you're kind of asking yourself, which hat is he wearing in particular here? So, again, if I could give you glasses to wear as you read the Bible, particularly the Gospels, that would be one of them, is, you know, if Jesus is speaking or doing, where do I go back and find that in the Old Testament? Uh, what is he acting out here? Because he is always acting out some part of the story. So, here we are. St. John's Gospel is an extensive presentation of Jesus Christ, creator and creation, quote, at play in the Genesis creation. This is Genesis elaborated, personalized, and grounded in a recognizable geography and history. Violet, we're looking at your uh, background now. Uh, that's where some of it happened, like 40 years of it happened right there. Uh, dun, 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 dun. Where, okay, the Christian life is in perpetual danger of dissolving into wonderful ideas or sublime feelings or ambitious projects. John's gospel, undergirded by Genesis 1 and 2, prevents dilutions and dissolutions that are so fatal to living robustly to the glory of God. This gospel continues century after century, generation after generation, as one of our very best defenses against a spirituality that is abstracted from the actual lives in which we follow Jesus one step at a time walking from kitchen to bedroom, from parking lot to workplace, from sanctuary to cemetery, from classroom to playing field, slugging it out with, quote, the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Everything that comes into view in Genesis 1 and 2 is lived out in the person of Jesus among men and women like us, and under the conditions, sunshine and rain, buying and selling, birth and death, sickness and oppression, sex and religion, whatever, in which we live. The word that gives precision to this comprehensive revelation of God in human form, living not merely admiring or discussing the creation, is incarnation. Quote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14, 
incarnation, enfleshment, embodiment. And have you got your Bibles? Yeah. I'd like you to stop there for a minute and turn to Micah 5. Verse 2, and, and tell me the New Testament references that you see there in your cross-references. John 7.42 mm-hmm. uh, and Matthew 2.6. Okay, and I also have Luke 2.4 and... But now this, when the Magi showed up in Jerusalem, and and again, Shirley and Sarah, without the age, what did you learn from Jim Martin about why all Jerusalem was upset when these guys from the East showed up in Jerusalem unannounced? What had happened 40 years before? Oh, let me think about it. Uh, 40 years. I'm not sure. Okay. 40 years before, Herod the Great had been installed as the puppet king by the Roman. <laughs> And, and 40 years before, Parthians, modern-day Persians or Iranians, had chased him. They had come a thousand miles and chased him from the throne, and he fled all the way to Rome. And Rome reinstalled him, and in re- he builds a series of forts. And, and so... The Makerus, Masada, the Herodium, uh, all these things all around as defenses against such a thing ever happening again. And yet, in spite of all of his defenses, here come these magi in in their, their caravan and their guarding the gold that they're bringing and they and and nobody knows that they're there until they're there and so Herod is upset and they come saying you know we're not here to do that we are here to worship the king of the Jews which of course was Herod's title and so no no we're not here to worship you we're here to worship the one born king of the Jews. And so Herod, who is an Edomite, they call it Edomian, but he is from from Edom, from Petra, another place that looks similar to what's behind Shirley now. Um, the, the religious leaders come in and they say, no, he's to be born in Bethlehem, and they cite this verse. So let's look at the verse. How do you know that? What's that? How do you know they cite this verse? Because that's that's the reference in Matthew 2. That's why 2 is a cross-reference. Oh. And what was the verse looking? Micah 2. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephetah, thought you were small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old, from ancient times. Now, anybody else got another translation about the origins? The origins are from of old, from ancient times. Is that what? Yes. Yeah, that's what Angela read. Going 
this from what now? I think this is from this. Hold on. Yeah, Goings Out. Yeah. Who's Goings Out? Are from old? Oh, old. Okay. Anybody else got anything else? I have too many. Yeah, mine says from mine says from ancient days or ancient of days. But I have for or from days of eternity. That's better. That's really what we're talking about. So, what you have here is, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are who are little to be among the clans of Judah. So this is not a big place. Doesn't seem to be a particularly important place. From you shall come forth for me. This is Yahweh speaking. One who is to be ruler in Israel. And again, the ruler from Judah is first announced in Genesis 49 as Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. And he says that, that one is to come, come from the tribe of Judah who will be the ruler. He will, have, he will be a king. But here it is whose origin is from eternity. So who's the only king who can come from eternity? Yeah. Yeah, God himself, Yahweh. So this is a prophecy of incarnation. This is an assertion of the deity of the child born king of the Jews in Bethlehem, which again is under, uh, the divine human assertion of the verse that often appears on our Christmas cards, Isaiah 9, 6, that the one, and again, Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries. Hmm. So, so Micah, at about the same time, writes this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be a ruler shall be on his shoulder, and his name will be called, and here's a chiasm, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace or shalom, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, the zeal of the Lord of armies or hosts will do this. So again, where did you read that from, Lucky, please? Isaiah 9, okay, 6 and 7. So again, that you have two divine titles and two human titles. You might call a person a wonder counselor. Moses was a wonder counselor. Elijah was a wonder counselor. They performed signs and wonders while, as a prophet, they served as counselor or, or attorney, covenant attorney. You might also say Prince of Shalom. Those are human titles. But the two middle ones, Mighty God and Everlasting Father, no Jew would ever apply to a human. Those are divine titles. But this one that is to be born, this son that is to be given, will have divine and human titles. That the one who is the real king of Israel is not David, but Yahweh. But what we find is that Yahweh promises to come and dwell with his people, Emmanuel, from chapter 7 uh, of Isaiah, that God will be with his people as a human being, which is almost unbelievable, but that is what John is talking about. The word became flesh and dwelt or pitched his tent is the language, pitched his tent among us, just like God did with the tabernacle. He dwelt in the midst of his people unlike any other God is that he was present in the midst of his people in his glory and did not destroy them. So the thing that's difficult about that passage, though, is that um, G 
Christ in the Trinity is not the Father. So it, so. I mean, this is when I've debated um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and if you use that verse, they're well. Now you're saying that Jesus is the Father. So it is hard to it's hard to um, it's hard to understand that that yeah you can understand the other three easily apply to Jesus. Yes. Um, how do we apply everlasting Father to Jesus? I think you apply everlasting Father to Jesus because He is the agent in creation, as John says, and all things that come into being come into being through Him. That He He begets the creation, if you will, and and the other piece of it, I think, is that when Jesus says, "If you have seen Me, Father. who have you seen?" Yeah, yeah, and so He is the authorized representative which is what kingship is all about. He is the bearer of God's authority. And so, you know, so to say that he bears the title of Yahweh, which is what Jesus himself asserts when he says, I am. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't say it once and he doesn't say it twice, but he says it seven times. Mm -hmm. uh, that, and when he says, before Abraham was, I am, he bears the title of everlasting father. So it is, so here, here we are. Um, see where I am now. I think we're at everything, aren't we on 86? Yes, it, no, it is right after in flesh, mud, and embodiment. It is not uncommon. Oh, it is not uncommon. Okay, thank you. Uh, help me with that. Where is that? Bottom of 86. Okay. It is not uncommon among people like us <laughs> that if we lived in another place or a better neighborhood with more congenial living conditions, voted in a better government, built finer schools, then we would most certainly live a more spiritual life. St. John's Gospel says, forget about it. <laughs> it's also common among people like us to look for ways to free ourselves from the humdrum, escape as often as possible into ecstasy, devise ways to live, to live separated from the clamor of traffic and family, associate so far as possible only with people of like mind and engage in disciplines and ways of dress and speech that set us apart from, quote, the others. St. John's Gospel says, forget about it. Here is how St. John does it. He writes a story that picks up features of Genesis 1 and 2 accounts of creation and presents Jesus as God's Genesis word, continuing to speak creation into existence. The Hebrew word there, we know we have the Greek word is logos. The Hebrew word is dabar. And, and the word dabar, as God speaks it, has authority that makes it happen. So the words of a king are different than the words of just Joe Smo, you know, that what he says actually takes place. They are edicts and law. Somewhere along the line, things went wrong. Genesis tells us that story too. And they are in desperate need of fixing. The fixing, like the making in the first place, is all accomplished by speaking. God speaking the new creation into being in the person of Jesus. But Jesus, in this story, not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. Keeping company with these words, we begin to realize that our words are more important than we ever supposed. Saying, quote, I believe, unquote, for instance, marks the difference between life and death. Our words accrue dignity and gravity in conversations with Jesus. 
For Jesus doesn't impose this new creation as a solution. He narrates us into this creation through leisurely conversation, intimate personal relationships, compassionate responses, passionate prayer, and putting it all together, a sacrificial death. Keeping company with Jesus, we become insiders to the creation. It is something, it is not something, quote, out there that we can adopt or ignore as we will. We can't walk away from creation in order to attend to the spiritual life. We are embedded in the creation. We are integral to the creation. St. John signals the Genesis connection by starting his gospel with the opening Genesis words in the beginning. But in Greek, in Arche, in a dazzling passage of theological poetry, John then identifies Jesus with that Genesis word. The same word that brought all creation into being is Jesus, who now brings a new creation into being. John expresses this both succinctly and comprehensively in his incomparable sentence, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, John 1.14. John's task is to show Jesus completely and utterly at home in the Genesis creation with the intent of making completely and utterly at home in this same holy creation. This is far more to life. There is far more to life, of course, than creation. There is holy history, holy community, parts two and three in this volume. So you pay, pay attention there. So we got holy creation, then we got holy history. Then we got holy community. So that's where we're headed. In the living of which Jesus is also definitive. But creation is where we begin. We cannot skip the beginning and enter at a higher grade. We live one day after the other. Not in timeless reveries. We live in dirt and with animals and birds. Not in cloud castles. We live male and female, not in undisturbed solitariness. We are flesh that requires feeding and cleaning and clothing. We cannot live God's gift. We cannot live God's gifts of salvation, history, and holy community apart from God's creation conditions. Jesus didn't, and we cannot. Was St. John dealing with people who were trying to shortcut creation? in order to get to, quote, the real heart of things, quote, to plunge into the deeper life, to get on a higher spiritual plane than others around them. What we have identified earlier as the Gnostic virus, it would be a surprise if he were not, or whatever, wherever, or wherever concerns for God and a godly life surface, these kinds of creation detours also show up. So, um, <clears throat> what I'm thinking now is that uh, there's a lot of, uh, or I've, I've heard a lot of uh, comments like that. Well, this Trinity concept is it's a new thing, you know. That, that, that's a that's a, a relatively new thing that people thought up, and uh, it's, it's not really uh, in um, in the Bible. Uh, and now, of course, uh, one, one of my responses always has been that um, uh, <laughs> well, but 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 we see here that 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 John they may not have had the same words, but we see here that John is saying Christ is God. Yes, exactly. And and, and it goes throughout throughout the Bible in many many ways, in many many forms. They yeah. just have the the words. They had a very very limited vocabulary. They didn't have the words to say three in one or trinity. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Genesis, um, we do see the Trinity, but yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> far from the Trinity, as a Jew... In the we, in the we language? No, I'm talking about the Spirit of God hovered, and, and God spoke, and the Spirit of God hovered. There's mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So, people that don't believe in the Trinity, they got to deal with those two. Yes. Um, and... What I what I think is interesting that I've seen now. I mean, we've been we've been talking about John one being a recreation story, but what I didn't see before is that in the in the Genesis account, the crowning glory of God's creation is making man and woman in His image. Right? Am I right about that? Yeah. So the passage of John tells this story, and the crowning end of that story is Jesus. Yes. I'm, I keep thinking the new Adam, the new Adam. Yes. Because it is the recreation story, and just like the first one ended in the creation of man and women in God's image, John 1 passage ends in the, not ends, but the end of that telling um, with the creation of this new Adam. And I never saw that before. I mean, I, I've seen it, but I never put it together before. Right, exactly. As, as the new Adam. Right. Well, and again, let's let's pause here for a minute. I want to take you to uh, take you back to John's Gospel. I think I've probably pointed this out to you before, but. So what you have is your mom memorized the verse 18. Verse I think it's through 17, actually. Um, she may, I don't remember. I have her on video about four years before she died. Yeah. It was through 17. I don't remember if she stopped there at that point or if she went all the way to 18. But see, maybe that would have gone. But the one that I have video recorded, it's just... Stop to 17. Yeah. Well, so where are you, Pastor? Well, I am I am starting at verse 19 of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Okay? So John bears witness to Jesus. Well, he bears witness to his calling. and And then points to the one that is to come. And then we're told this takes place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, <laughs> baptized. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they're asking John who he is, and he tells them, I'm not this, I am that, I'm preparing. And again, I think very significantly, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of who? The Lord. For the Lord. The Lord. So again, he's not just making the path straight for the return of a Messiah. He's making it, making the path straight for the return of God to his people. So, and again, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is all about the return of God and his glory to his people. So that's, that's day one. Now, if you go to verse 29, what, what's... What's the next thing that you see? The next day. The next day. So that's day, that's day two. And let him go. Go to verse 35. What do you see? Day three. Day three, the next day again. And then 43, what do you get? Day four. Day four. And then 2-1, what do you get? Third day. Uh, On the third day, a wedding took place. Right. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana and Galilee. So now how many days do you have? Three. Seven. 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 (laughs) Four plus three. Yes. This is me. I can do it. Yeah, yeah. I got a calculus teacher here. She can explain it to us. I'm sorry. I I was like looking up the definition of of the Lord, and so I was only halfway listening. I'm sorry. That's I, it. I use I use this very. 
I love this little app. It's the um, Bible Hub app. Yes. Do you, ever, do you use it? Oh, I use uh, Olive Tree. Well, you can look up. It has an interlinear where you can look up every word in the original Greek or Hebrew. And it gives you definition, and then it gives you cross-references as well. It's very handy yes. to have on your phone. So I was looking up the word for Lord and wondered what that was. So yep. anyway, Sorry yeah. I wasn't paying attention. That's all right. Yes. You'll get a detention, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get a detention. I know. <laughs> so. well, you, you and Sarah sat there like without any comments when, you, when the teacher asked a question. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I was one of those that just absorbed. I didn't get controversial. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Always wise. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Proverbs tells you to keep your mouth shut if you don't. It's better than right. <laughs> so, so, so here you've got a new seven days of new creation, and and the next thing that happens is you get Jesus' first sign. And the first sign that he does is he turns water into wine. Yeah, and, he, and he does that because that's whose job. That's the bridegroom's job. So this displays Jesus as the bridegroom of Israel, the long-expected return of Yahweh to his people. So again, he is the fulfillment of what John anticipates. And if you go to the end of chapter 3, you know, you got the whole Nicodemus thing going on, but at the end, you got another John the Baptist text, beginning at verse 25. And so you got now a discussion arose between John's disciples and a Jew over purifying. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, this is kind of a, an important text for me now that I'm the overlap pastor. So <laughs> said, uh, no one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have come, I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. So now, who's the bridegroom according to John? Jesus. 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 Exactly. Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the truth belongs to the earth. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. And of the earth he speaks. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He who receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for it is not by measure that he gives the Spirit. Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God is upon him. And then, what's the next thing that happens? Jesus meets the well. And, and he meets her at a well, which ought to again give you recollections of stuff. What happens with Men and women who meet at wells in Genesis. They get married. That's it, right. baby. So here is as the bridegroom, and the shocker is, what kind of bride or woman is he marrying? 
Samaritan with lots of history. Yes. <laughs> Sinner like me. <laughs> you know, so again, you have new creation, you have new birth, you've got, again, the remarriage of God to his people, and again, the nature of the people that he marries are the same until he transforms them. Because what happens what happens to this woman? She she follows him. And she becomes yeah, an evangelist. She tells exactly. Him, yeah. Is in the history of the world. Yeah. The greatest Samaritan evangelist in the history of the world. So you know, and, and the other thing I think is significant is how does he approach her? What does he want? A drink. Yeah, he wants a drink. And then what does he tell her? If you knew who was talking to you, what would you do? Ask for living water. Yeah, you'd ask him for a drink. And he'd give you living water. And then what does she do at the end of the story? What does she leave behind? The thing she carries the water in, right? Yeah, the water. So, again, that suggests to me that John wants you to know she got the water. And then she goes as a completely different person back to the village, and they all come out based on what they see has happened to her. And then they believe, and they invite him to stay, like you would for a wedding. And so, you know, so again, the shocker as this is told, because where does most of the action happen in John's gospel? Not in Galilee. Where does it happen? In Jerusalem. Most of what goes on in John's gospel happens in Jerusalem. So as he tells this story, Jerusalem thinks they're the object of God's affection. And who does he marry? A Samaritan woman with five husbands and been living with another guy. Don't you think that's a miracle that the town believed her? That's a miracle to me because here she is, this oh, woman, and then she, totally. and they listened to her and follow and followed her. I, that that's a miracle. Yeah. Oh, that took, is yeah, yeah. Well, it's, but it's, they also saw a changed life. Yes. And and the changed life was evidence that something had happened to her. Oh, that's nice. that's right. I didn't think of that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. There was no explanation other than God had done something. And what she says is, I found the Messiah. Which again means something different in Samaria than it does in Judah. In, it means son of David. But what, what books do the Samaritans read and what books do they not read in the Hebrew text? The, the first five? That's all. Yeah. They just read. They just read the books of Moses. So, so the one that they are anticipating is the prophet like unto Moses from Deuteronomy eighteen. And again, what does she say? The Messiah, her view of the Messiah, will do. He's going to tell them all things. And then, what does he do with her? He tells her her whole, her whole history. And she's like, well, dang, you must be a prophet. Like Moses. That's it. That's it. And so, isn't it true that many Jews only believe the first five books too, though? The Sadducees. Today. I mean, in today's... Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know, because in synagogues, they usually have... Uh, they usually have the Torah passage, but they also have the Haftarah, which is the other than the books of Moses passages. Okay. So, so they, uh, you know, they have a lectionary just like we do, and are intending to read the whole text of the Old Testament in the synagogue. Okay. So it, uh, but when Jesus. When Jesus gets in a controversy with the Sadducees, 
it's interesting that he doesn't, you know, again, about the resurrection, he doesn't argue from the Psalms like they do in the book of Acts for the resurrection. He doesn't argue from Ezekiel. Uh, he argues from the name of God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then he says, you guys don't even believe the books you do read. You know, you know neither the word of God nor the power of God, is what he says to the Sadducees. You guys are frauds. So, so anyway, here I think we are at, John is a constant writer, is that right? Thank yes. Okay. And we have a few minutes here. So, John is a consummate writer, skilled in nuance and illusion. How did he become that way? He's a fisherman. Yeah, yeah. But he, he, is, also, yeah, he has also got connections to the priestly, to the real priests, because who's his mother? Elizabeth? Yeah, who's married to her? No, that's John. The, oh, who's, right. Who's, who's John Zebedee's mother? The mother of Zebedee. Well, isn't she yeah, a, she's a yeah, sister? Right. Is she the sister? No, no, that's not right. Yep. He's Mary's sister. Yeah, okay. Oh, that, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, I did that right. Yeah. And now we'll go back to Elizabeth. Who is Elizabeth? She's married to... a. Um. But but Elizabeth's pedigree is actually better than her husband's. Who is who is Elizabeth? She's a cousin of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. Yes, right? she's she's related to Mary the mother of Jesus. They are kin kinfolk. But we're told about Elizabeth's heritage. She is of the daughters of who? Aaron. Aaron, exactly. <laughs> Who is Aaron? High priest. He, the real high Moses priest. Moses, brother, the real high priest, and you know, and for for more than a thousand years, for more than a thousand years, the high priestly family traced their lineage to Aaron. Hmm. Now the legitimate high priests have gone 180 B.C., but say 1500 B.C. to 180 B.C., the priests are down from the family of Aaron, and Elizabeth and Mary are from that family. And so, so now John Zebedee is of that family. And so... He has connections in Jerusalem. He's not just a rube from Galilee who's a fisherman. That certainly is his trade, but he is tied in with an amazing heritage. It goes all the way back to Moses and Aaron. And so, so he is not only trained by Jesus as a rabbinical student, but in all likelihood, he has been schooled uh, within his family in the word of God with great precision and care so that he, he knows stuff even as a, he's the youngest of the apostles but he knows stuff because where he came from yeah so it's my understanding though that first of all in, in those days a fish a Jewish fisherman they had they didn't they have to memorize like um, like the whole first five books of the Bible? Oh, I had to memorize the whole Old Testament. Okay, so, I mean, that's mind-blowing. So, we're talking about a completely different caliber of people. If you're a fisherman, you're a learned person if you've done that. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. I don't know well, anybody today that does that. Yeah, that's not so much because he's a fisherman. It's because he's, he, he's an observant Jew. So he right, would have, no, I know. He would but, have done Chinese 13. 
Right, but that's what I'm saying, that, that, that that's the caliber of a person, yeah. and then, you know, we, we, we see, oh, he was just a fisherman, well, you're not seeing the whole picture of who these people are. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and you're not understanding kind of the nature of what Capernaum really is. Is you know, there's there's a synagogue there. It's it's the place around the lake where observant Judaism is taking place. So just down the lake on the west side is a scandalous place known as Tiberius. The Gentile cities, you know, which is might as well be another planet. But in the northwest corner of the lake, you've got observant Jews who know the Bible. And, and Jesus goes and lives there and begins to disciple there. So, I don't even these guys as as a little rough. Uh, you know, their language uh, would be uh, not uh, not exactly right. It would be street kind of language, rough kind of language, language. You know. Now I now I know that that. Uh, okay. So. So anyway, John is a consummate writer, skilled in nuance and illusion. And again, the allusions that he makes are not to secular literature, but to the Old Testament. So he writes he writes intentionally to... I, I appreciated a word that Jared used yesterday, echoes. He, he writes his stories to echo other stories. And... And so, you know, as you hear them, you go, huh, huh. And you, you go back and begin to think about the connections that he is intentionally leaving there for you. So there is an inviting simplicity in John's writing, but it is a simplicity that conceals depths of insight. It would be both irreverent and a violation to reduce or summarize his gospel to a few, quote, truths or, quote, principles, the Gnostic way of doing things. We must let him do his work in his own way. Our task is to submit ourselves to John's narrative art and let him ground us with Jesus in the creation, this creation in which Jesus is revealing the fullness of God to us. And then to follow John in embracing a Jesus-believing life in which the fullness of a creation-grounded life takes shape in us. John writes the Jesus story in quite a different way from his canonical companions. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who all follow a different outline, John's approach gives us the same story, but the shift in perspective and tone engages us differently. Novelist John Updike observes that if we view Matthew, Mark, and Luke as progressively sedimentary, John is metamorphic. All the strata violently annealed into something quite different. John's storytelling consists primarily of Jesus' conversations. In John's rewriting of the Genesis creation, the most conspicuous feature is that Jesus speaks. He is, after all, the Word. But unlike the terse Genesis sentences, Jesus' words flourish into conversations and discourses or speeches. John's opening sentence, in the beginning was the Word, is elaborated in the conversations that Jesus has with all sorts and conditions of people. Conversations brief and lengthy. Conversations pithy and elaborate. But conversations. Conversations develop and accumulate conversations between Jesus and his mother, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and Nicodemus, 
Jesus and the Samaritan, Jesus and the paralytic, Jesus and the blind man, Jesus and the Jews, Jesus and Martha, Jesus and Mary, Jesus and Caiaphas, Jesus and Pilate, and without any change of tone or diction, Jesus and God, the Son and the Father. Several times the conversations develop into discourse, but the conversational tone is always maintained. These are not declamations to a generalized quote world, but person-to-person conversations. The Lord of language uses language not to lord it over anyone, but to engender relationships of grace and love, creating community and bringing it to maturity in prayer. In this richly conversational gospel world, three elements distinctively, quote, creation cast, give a distinctively creation cast to the story. The ego a me formulation, I am. The use of the term, quote, sign, and the frequent mention of glory. Let's see here. Maybe we should stop there. Maybe we should stop there, but I think it's getting juicy. (laughs) Gotta say, Joanne, I was so touched and encouraged to see you and Woody yesterday. That was such a gift to me. Well, it was to us too, and especially to him. It was uh, very helpful. I didn't know for sure until we got up in the morning if he was going to actually do it. But, um, yeah, I was really glad he was there. Did you notice how he's awfully thin, isn't he? He's awfully thin. He's lost a lot of weight. Like around service yesterday, Joy? We were at the 8 o'clock, yeah. We thought there'd be less people there. uh, I love the way the church was set up, though. They did a really good job. Whomever planned that did a really good job. There was no one in front of us or behind us, or someone was at the end of the, um, so that was really special. Yeah. And going forward, uh, lucky going forward, we're going to do the same kind of thing, or? Yes. Yep. As, you know, as long as we're still in these phases, and it looks like infection is increasing, so not decreasing, so we will continue to social distance, continue to use masks, uh, continue to take people's temperature as they come in. Uh, so I had, I had gotten there before the doctor did. And, uh, and so before we got started, he, he came up with his, with his, uh, digital thermometer and put it on my, took my temperature and said, yeah, you can stay. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be uh, uh, what we expected. But it was it was something because it was the first time that he had. Because I've known Bob since tenth grade, and uh, and so it was the first time that he had actually been medical to me. That. Here, here, my old my old high school friend came up and was taking my temperature as my doctor. And, and, uh, and, That's wild. For the for the church, you know. So it was a, it was a moment. Lockie also at the eight o'clock service, um, and what was recorded, the background was so good that it was darkened, and I think Evan probably did that because yes. um, they changed some things that made it. Made it more intimate. It was really oh, good. Nice. I love, yeah. yeah, the altar I loved over to the side too, so that you could, um, there was more room. It wasn't crowded, and you could see the people who were singing. It was really special. Yeah. I liked it. Good. So, let's keep moving forward, guys, you know. Amen. Amen. So, you get you get the old guy this week, so. It, uh, <laughs> Me on a couple occasions yesterday. <laughs> oh, well, 
Double of your answers at the 11 o'clock were spot on. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, well, I was asking the same questions everybody else was and needed answers. So that was. So you you rehearsed this. (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) I was, I was, like I said, you know, I don't know, you hear this story about the old farmer. He was out and he looked kind of glum and his neighbor said, What's wrong with you? You look kind of down. He said, well, I had to shoot my dog the other day. He said, were he mad? He said, well, he weren't too dang pleased. (laughs) (laughs) You and your jokes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, we're we're coming up on 30 years of having been at First Press, which just blows our mind. It does. And when we first came there, you know, it's dawned on me just, recently that you were only there like 10 years before us yes and and it seemed you know when we came there it seemed like you had just been there forever and, and, <laughs> well yeah you see i was 30 i was i think i was 36 when we started coming there we were we were all babies and we it just yeah, me too i was 66 i was a baby <laughs> <laughs>
they're very excited about having their children involved in the programs at First Press because they did not have that where they were before. So, 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 what are the ages of their children again? Shirley? What are the ages? Uh, 12, 10, and 8, I believe, third grade. Yeah, so, so, so some will be able to go to our preschool, uh, our school uh, program? No. 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 Wednesday. Well, why not? We're preschool, Angelo. Only preschool? Right. Yeah. What's Thank the you. Time? school and our Wednesday night programs. But for, yeah, so I'll get the third grader in my class. She's going into third, right? Yes. So that, I will have her um, if we ever start classes. I mean... Exactly. Exactly right. Lucky, what's the so, date he's coming? July 1st? No, no just sometime in July. I'm sorry, say again? We're sometime, just sometime in July. Oh, okay. We don't have a date. Okay, good. Um, so, Okay. He'd like to come sooner, but uh, yeah, that's, that's right. Just depends. They didn't have children's programs in their church. Uh, it was an inner city school. I mean, an inner city church, and they had a lot of um, young professionals. And then when they had children, they moved back to the suburbs. So, and then they had older people also, but not. Um, so that the kids had a lot of Christian friends. Wow. So, so yeah, I mean, the that's probably one of the big reasons they moved, you know, yes. out of that for the kids. Yeah. Looking for community, I think. And, and, you know, and again, one of the things that I think will be helpful to them, uh, not only for their children, but for them, is, is being part of the community of First Pres that, you know, again, having, having Bob Johnson in your life is an experience. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I had Wiley Sanders in my life. That was an experience. And, uh, and, and he had great influence and impact on me. Bob will have that, I think, as long as Bob lives for Jared. Uh, well, oh. Are you you a, <laughs> a funny story about Bob last night. He found an audience for his irrigation stories in Monica. Oh, nice. Uh, Wallace was sitting between them, and she said, I learned more about irrigation than I ever thought was possible. <laughs> uh, that's it. Own a house down here, they got to know something about irrigation. Unless they have to go. Unless they want to be hiring him all the time. <laughs> so was Jared and Monica with you last night when you did yes. your... Oh, good. Yes. I, I didn't understand that. Good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, so who's our closer today? Go ahead, Sarah. Okay. I will find one. West Virginia. In West Virginia. <laughs> it was oh, 50 something. Before you pray, do you have a farm report? Before we got one inch of rain, so everything is growing. It's beautiful and green. And it's 50 something this morning. Oh, man. We got to get up to like 69. Where in West Virginia are you, Sarah? Lewisburg, not far from the Greenbrier. So you can come up and. I know the Greenbrier. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm nine miles from there, 12 miles. What is Greenbrier? Uh, an old hotel. Oh. It has a spring. It's white in White Sulphur Springs. It was one of the springs that the president, you know, people used to travel around and, and visit when they just uh, went by carriage and train back in the old days. But it's still around and it's, it has a lot of golf courses. Yeah, the last time I, I was there, the waiters were liveried. Oh wow! Were <laughs> what? What? Liveried waiters. You know, with the Waistcoats and mm-hmm. right. Pickles. Yeah. yeah. Fancy. Okay, the need of grace. Let's pray. Oh God, thou knowest my great unfitness for service, my present deadness, my inability to do anything for thy glory, my distressing coldness of heart. I am weak, ignorant, unprofitable, and loath and abhorred myself. I am at a loss to know what thou wouldst have me do. For I feel amazingly deserted by thee, and sense but thy presence so little. 
Thou makest me possess the sins of my youth and the dreadful sin of my nature, so that I feel all sin. I cannot think or act, but every motion is sin. Return again with showers of converting grace to a poor gospel-abusing sinner. Help my soul to breathe after holiness, after a constant devotedness to thee, after growth in grace more abundantly every day. O Lord, I am lost in the pursuit of this blessedness, and am ready to sink because I fall short of my desire. Help me to hold out a little longer until the happy hour of deliverance comes. For I cannot lift my soul to thee, if thou and thy goodness bring me not nigh. Help me to be diffident, watchful, tender, lest I offend my blessed friend in thought and behavior. I confide in thee and lean upon thee, and need thee at all times to assist and lead me. Oh, that all my distresses and apprehensions might prove but Christ's school to make me for greater service by teaching me the great lesson of humility. Amen. 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 And one other report uh, from up here. I have a row of flowers along uh, right by my garage, and I thought they were weeds, but they turned out to be larkspur. And they must have been planted by the birds or God because I've never had a larkspur seed or planted anything, but it's a real gift. <laughs> That's <laughs> neat. That's really neat. Yeah, so, anyway. That was awesome, Sarah. That is neat. Yep. Yeah. Great to see you all. Good to see you. Bye, Bye, everyone. Guys. Bye. 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 Oh, thank you guys there. I didn't see you before. Bye. <laughs>